0: Um, Well, let's get right to it Uh, we we occasionally get New York Times best-selling authors here We rarely have two at one blow and tonight uh, we have two very major fantasy authors uh, both of whom have a large following and a Distinguished and interesting body of work Uh, Let me introduce our first reader is has a series which is quite unusual. It's set in, it's sort of steampunk meets vampires. It's set in Victorian England. The heroine, Alexei
1: Tarabati,
0: has been described as somewhere between Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Elizabeth Bennet, and I think that's (laughs) probably pretty accurate. Uh, And this is a a very dark, sly, devious, and funny series that's worth uh, close attention. So let me introduce Gail Caringer.
1: Hi. <laughs> Pleasure to be here. Uh, am I gonna? I just start reading right away? Is that all you? Yeah. All you? right.
0: You're already behind.
1: Oh my god! Oh god!
0: Um, <laughs> no, no, no. You can say whatever you want. All right. Like,
1: well, go. what I would like it's to say easy. is that I'm sure both Pat and I sound a lot better if you are drunk. <laughs> so, <laughs> and we're much funnier that way. So uh, I recommend that in the break, you guys all booze up.
0: <laughs>
1: and then I guess the, the, the other thing I say is I always apologize for not actually being British, um, which most of my fans expect, um, but I'm not. And I will attempt a British accent, uh, for which I, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and i got a fuss for a second. All right. And... So I'm going to read a little bit from my most recent book, which was Blameless, which is the third in a series. And I I do write a series. So I tried to pick sections that didn't give anything away because there are a couple of big moments in the previous two books. So for those of you who are most of you who are here for Pat and not for me, (laughs) um, hopefully I'm not giving anything away. So the first scene I'm going to read for you starts out with our hero, um, who's in a bit of a predicament Lord Connell McCann was drunk. He was not drunk in the half-hearted manner of most supernatural creatures, wherein twelve pints of bitter had finally turned the world slightly fuzzy. No, Lord Connell McCann was rip-roaring, tumble-down, without a doubt, pickled beyond the gherkin. It took an enormous quantity of alcohol to get a werewolf that inebriated, and reflected Professor Lyle as he steered his alpha around the side of an inconvenient pot-shed. It was almost as miraculous a feat to attain such quantities as it was to ingest them. How had Lord Macon finagled such an arrangement? Not only that, how had he managed to acquire said booze so consistently over the past three days without visiting London or tapping into Wolsey Castle's well-stocked cellar? Really, thought the Beta in annoyance, Such powers of alcoholism could almost be thought supernatural. Lord Macon lurched heavily into the side of a pot-shed. The meat of his left shoulder and upper arm crashed against the oak siding. The entire building swayed on its foundation. Pardon? Apologized the Earl with a small hiccup. Didn't see you there. For Pete's sake, Connell, said his beta in tones of the deeply put upon. How did you manage to get so corned? he tugged his alpha away from the abused shed. Na drunk, insisted his lordship, throwing one substantial arm across his beta's shoulders and leaning heavily upon it. Just a tiny, slightly small bit of squiffy. His lordship's accent got distinctly more Scottish in times of great stress, strong emotion, or, apparently, under the influence of vast amounts of liquid intoxicants. They left the safety of the pot-shed. The Earl pitched forward suddenly, his grip on his beta, the only thing that managed to keep him upright. Wha? Watch that bit of ground there, would you? "'Tricky? Tricky. Jumps right up at a man!' "'Where did you acquire the alcohol?' Professor Lyle asked again, as he tried valiantly to get his alpha back on track across the wide lawn of Wolsey's extensive grounds towards the castle proper. It was like trying to steer a steamboat through a tub of turbulent molasses. A normal human would have buckled under the strain, but Lyle was lucky enough to have supernatural strength to call upon in times of great difficulty. Lord Macon wasn't simply big. He was also tremendously solid, like a walking, talking Roman fortification. How did you get all the way out here? I distinctly remember tucking you into bed before leaving your room last night. Professor Lyle spoke very clearly and precisely, not entirely sure how much was seeping into his alpha's thick skull. Lord Macon's head bobbed slightly, and he attempted to follow Professor Lyle's words. Went for a wee nightly run. Needed peace and quiet. Needed air in my fur. Needed fields under my paws. Needed... I can't explain. Needed the company of hedgehogs. And did you find it? Find what? No hedgehogs. Stupid hedgehogs. Lord Macon tripped over a daphne bush, one of the many that lined the pathway leading up to the side entrance of the house. Who bloody well put that there? Peace. Did you find peace? Lord Macon stopped and drew himself upright straightening his spine and throwing his shoulders back. It was an action driven by memory of military service. It caused him to positively tower over his second. Despite his ramrod straight back, the Alpha managed to sway side to side, as if the aforementioned molasses-bound steamboat were now weathering a violent storm. Do I, he enunciated very carefully, look like I have found peace? Professor Lyle had nothing to say in response to that. Exactly! Lord Macon made a wide, flailing gesture. She is wedged! He pointed two thick fingers at his head as though they formed a pistol. Here! Then turned them at his chest. And here! Can a shaker stickier than... His powers of metaphor failed him. Stickier than... Cold porridge getting all gloopy on the side of the bowl... He finally came up with triumphantly. Professor Lyle wondered what Lady Alexia Macon would say to being compared to such a pedestrian foodstuff. She would probably compare her husband to something even less agreeable, like haggis.
0: <laughs>
1: so that that's your peek into my hero <laughs> and how he's coping with his current predicament. And uh, I think we have a little more time, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah no.
0: okay. What's an alpha?
1: An alpha, of the head of the werewolf pack. Yeah, alpha, beta, gamma, so on and so forth. Um, like alpha wolf, right? So, uh, so this is your peek into uh, Lady Alexia McCann's personality prototype. <coughs> Someone was trying to kill Lady Alexia McCann. It was most inconvenient, for she was in a dreadful hurry. Given her previous familiarity with near-death experiences and their comparative frequency with regards to her good self, Alexia should probably have allowed extra time for such a predictable happenstance, except that in this particular instance, the unpleasant event was occurring in broad daylight while she was driving down Oxford Street. Not as a general rule the expected time or location for such an event. she wasn't even in a rented hackney. She'd grown to anticipate regular attacks when hired transport was involved, but this time she was riding in a private conveyance. She'd pinched Squire Loontwill's carriage. As her dear stepfather was giving her the royal heave-ho, she figured he wouldn't mind if she loaded his personal mode of transport with all of her worldly goods and stole it for the day. As it turned out, he did mind, but she wasn't there to witness his annoyance. he had ended up borrowing his wife's pony and trap, A contraption decked in yellow tulle and pink rosettes, which vastly ill suited both his dignity and girth. Her attackers didn't appear willing to follow previously established patterns in the murder arena. For one thing, they weren't supernatural. For another, they were ticking. Quite loudly, in fact. Lastly, they were also skittering. They were undertaking the ticking because, so far as Alexia could determine, and she rather preferred not to get too close, They were clockwork, or some variety of wind-up mechanical. And they were undertaking the skittering because they were beetles. Large, shiny, red beetles with black spots and multifaceted crystal eyes, boasting nasty-looking syringes that poked upwards in place of antennae. Ladybugs were invading her carriage. A whole herd of them. Each ladybug was about the size of Alexia's hand. They were calling all over the conveyance, trying to break in. Unfortunately, this did not require much diligence, as the window above the door was wide open, so that any old killer ladybug could sneak right inside. Alexia lurched up, crushing her poor hat against the ceiling of the cab, and tried to slam the sash closed, but she was far too slow. They were remarkably fast for such tubby creatures. A closer view of those antennae revealed tiny beads of moisture oozing from the tips, probably some brand of poison. She reworked her assessment of her attackers. Homicidal mechanical dripping ladybugs. Ugh. She grabbed for her trusty parasol and bashed the first one she could with the heavy handle. The bug crashed into the opposite wall, fell onto the back-facing seat, and scuttled once more in her general direction. Another mechanical beetle crawled up the wall towards her, and a third pushed itself up the window sash at her shoulder. Alexia squealed, half in fear, half in irritation, and began hitting at the creatures as hard and as fast as she could within the confines of the carriage, at the same time trying to think of some part of her parasol's armament that might help her in this particular situation. For some reason, Madame LeFou had never specified ladybug protective measures in its anthroscopy. She struck out and whacked at three more of the bugs crawling across the cabin floor, holding the parasol by its tip and wielding it as though it were a croquet mallet. Lady Macon was very good at croquet. The carriage seemed to be positively swarming with the creatures, all attempting to stick those dripping antennae into some part of Alexia's anatomy. One of them got perilously close to her arm before she pushed it away. Another climbed all the way up to her stomach and struck, only to be thwarted by the leather belt of her traveling dress. She yelled for help, hoping the banging and clattering she was making would convince the driver to stop and come to her rescue, but he seemed oblivious. She continued to catalogue her parasol options. The numbing dart was useless, the metal and wooden stakes equally so. It was then that she remembered the parasol was equipped with a magnetic disruption field emitter. Desperately, she flipped the accessory around to its normal position and groped along the handle for one of the carved lotus petals that protruded slightly more than the others. Catching it with her thumb, she pulled it back and activated the emitter. It appeared that the deadly ladybugs had iron parts for the disruption field did as designed and seized up their magnetic components. The beetles, in deference to their nature, all stopped in their tracks and turned upside down, little mechanical legs drawn up against the undersides just as ordinary dead beetles might. Alexia sent a grateful thank you to Madame LeFou for her forethought in including the emitter, and began hurriedly scooping up and throwing the ladybugs out of the carriage window before the disruption field wore off, careful not to touch those sticky dripping antennae. Her skin shivered in disgust. The driver, finally discerning that something was not quite right with his passenger, drew up the carriage, jumped down from the box, and came around to the door, just in time to get bonked on the head with a discarded ladybug. "'All right there, Lady Macon,' he asked, giving her a pained look and rubbing his forehead. "'Don't just stand there waffling!' instructed her ladyship, as though she weren't bumping about the interior of the carriage, pausing only to throw enormous red bugs out the window. Drive on, you cretin! Drive on! Best get myself to a public place, thought Alexia, until I'm certain I'm out of danger, and I need a moment to calm my nerves. The driver turned to do her bidding, only to first be forestalled by a— Wait! I've changed my mind! Take me to the nearest tea house! (laughs)
0: <laughs>
1: the man returned to his post with an expression that spoke volumes on his feelings over how the low the aristocracy had fallen he clicked the horses into a trot and pulled the carriage back out into london traffic showing worthy forethought alexia felt under such trying circumstances she trapped one of the ladybugs in a large pink hat box drawing the cords tight in her agitation she actually accidentally dumped the box's previous occupant, a rather nice velvet topper with burgundy ribbon, out the window. Her precautionary measures were undertaken none too soon, for the disruption field wore off and the hat-box began to shake violently. Just to be certain, Lady Macon stuck her head out the window to look behind and see if the other ladybugs continued their pursuit. They were trundling in confused circles in the middle of the street. So was her velvet hat, burgundy ribbons trailing behind. It must have landed on top of one of the bugs. With a sigh of relief, Alexia sat back, placing one hand firmly on top of the hat.